you know, I, I was I, I was joking around the other day we when we had the Go Conference, and uh, um, how many of you guys met Shav and Christina Martinez? Did you guys meet them? They're lovely, lovely people. They're from Orlando. They'll be back, and uh, they'll preach for us again sometime. But we were sitting across the um, the dinner table at Go, and we just started to talk about what God was doing in our hearts. How many of you guys have ever been just sharing with a friend what God's doing in your heart, and you just break all the way down, right? You just start to cry and say, oh, man. God's so awesome what he's doing. And, I, and I, I just said this. It was so organic. It's not very eloquent. But I said, you know, guys, I just want to be around God doing stuff. And I started to break down and I said, you know, I think that's my new mission statement. I just want to be around God doing stuff. And uh, I just I started to cry. I said, oh, God, I want to be around you doing stuff. And, uh, you know, I just, I think it's a privilege for us as a family just to be around God doing stuff. And if he's doing something at Trevecca, if he's doing something in West Nashville, if he's doing something in North Nashville, we say yes and amen. We want to be a part of it. We want to go to it. We want to be in it. We want to see it. We want to worship with them. I don't care what church, if, if he pours it out. At a Nazarene campus, great. If it's at a Baptist church, great. If it's at a Pentecostal church, great. I'll go there with you guys. If you would like to go, I will go. I, I'm serious. I don't care. I, I was praying here on Wednesday. How many of you guys know we have a prayer thing here on, on Wednesday from 6 to 9? This is our last Wednesday. We have it scheduled this upcoming Wednesday. I, I was pacing right there. I said, uh, God, I said, God uh, yeah, because we might do it some more, guys. Don't get too bummed yet. But... Um, I would say, God, where, what are you doing in this city? Where are you pouring out your glory? Where are you pouring out the spirit of revival? Where? Where? Because, I mean, I know you're doing something with us here, but I know what revival feels like, God. I mean, I know what it feels like to just be completely taken by your love. And I, I want that. And if, if you're doing it at another church, if you're doing it at a campus ministry, if you're doing it at an early morning prayer meeting, can you tell me, can you give me a word of wisdom on where you're moving? Because I want to go there. You guys with me on that? Man, I heard, about, I heard about a revival that was 13 hours away a few years ago, and I'd finished preaching for three days. I preached at a youth conference, and after three days of preaching, I drove uh, from one side of the state to the other, and then I, I changed cars, and then I drove overnight 13 hours to be at a 10 a.m. church service because of what God was doing. I'll do it again with you guys if you'd like. I don't care. We could have church in a 16-passenger van. We could take out the offering and everything. Just pass the buckets. I don't know, man. I, I believe that hungry people don't have manners. You know, hungry people, they don't have manners. They don't really care what you think about them. Because when they're hungry, they're eating. It doesn't matter if you're judging, they're eating. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just feel, I feel hungry. And it's, it's not just because we've been fasting. <laughs> How many of you guys know that we pray until we hear, but we also fast until we taste? Right? And I, I don't want to be satisfied with just like a little taste, you know. I want the full buffet that Jesus Christ paid for on the cross for us to experience and encounter right now in this life on this side of heaven. 
That's what I want to experience. I want to experience an eternal fruit, an eternal breakthrough. What God's doing in heaven, we just sang about it. Let the kingdom come on the earth as it is in heaven. Whatever's happening right there, right now at at four or at five o'clock or whatever time it is, that's what I want to happen in this room. I'll be cool with that. What do you guys think? I think revival is what heaven calls balance. You know, I mean, a lot of people see revival. They see people not having manners and they say, you know, what's that about? Well, that, you know, that's balance according to heaven in my book, you know, because people are just crazy for Jesus because once you see Jesus, how do you stay the same? There's no way we, continue, we can continue life as usual. We can't continue church as usual. We can't continue, you know, work as usual. Everything changes from the moment that we get a glimpse of Jesus. How many of you guys want a new glimpse? Man, I want a fresh glimpse, you guys. That's what this whole 21 days has been about. It's been about us seeing Jesus. It's been about us uh, having a season of devotion together. And it's also been about us forging the family and becoming one. This is not two churches, but this is one body. Amen? Like we got married. I don't know who was the groom and who was the bride. Doesn't matter. We were both pretty. And dude, we are together. We are together now. And so when I started to pray about how to proceed, how do we... How do we follow up an epic weekend of the GO Conference? How do we follow up a marriage ceremony with Mama Heidi Baker and Papa Don Finto and all of these wonderful people who are in this room at the same time? I mean, it was like so much anointing. You could just like fall out just walking in the place. You know, it was so wonderful, so awesome. And I really felt like God spoke to me to follow that up with a season of consecration of prayer and of fasting and keeping the main thing the main thing and returning to our first love intentionally and not overcomplicating it, but keeping it simple, keeping it about prayer, keeping it about fasting, keeping it about reading the Bible and keeping it about fellowship. How many of you guys know if we just do that, we can live on fire for God? That is a better word than some of you guys are saying amen. Come on, right? If we just pray fast, read the Bible and fellowship, we'll be a-okay. But somewhere along the line, you know, we just complicate it. We think it's got to be about all this other stuff. And I just feel like Jesus comes reminding us, man, it really is that simple. It really is that simple. So in this, uh, in this season of devotion, I've been breaking out some books and I've been uh, listening to some sermons by a father who I know spoke from this pulpit not too long ago, Derek Prince. You guys remember Derek Prince? He's an incredible teacher. Google him afterward. If you don't know Derek Prince, Google him and listen to his, listen to his sermons. Right, he's, an, he's an awesome preacher. And so I've also been listening to some sermons and reading some books by another fasting father, which, which is Lou Engle. And I showed a video to you guys a couple of weeks ago from Papa Lou talking about fasting. And he's got a new book out. It's called The Jesus Fast. And if any of you guys are interested in picking up a book that won't leave you the same, I do want to make that recommendation. Uh, last weekend, I was in Springfield, Missouri, and I was preaching there with Heidi Baker and with Stacy Campbell and with Will Hart. I don't even know how I got to preach at that conference. I'm like, I'm so unqualified to preach here, man. Like, and it was awesome. 
And I had so much fun preaching there. And in my second session, the Holy Spirit spoke to me on the way, uh, well, just that morning before preaching. And he said, I want you to preach to this room. There's a th- over a thousand people in this room. He said, I want you to preach about fasting. I said, you're not cutting me any slack here, Holy Spirit. You know, these people don't even know me. Shouldn't I preach like a good, fun message, you know, that's safe and just gets everybody to the altar? And I felt like the Holy Spirit said, no. He said, I want you, I want you to bear the same message that you've been listening to, shared by Derek Prince. I want you to talk about prayer. I want you to talk about fasting. I want you to call this conference to consecration. And that's what I did. I preached for an hour about prayer and fasting at a conference that people paid money for. (laughs) Because honestly, man, any room I walk into, I want to be the hungriest person in the room. Not because I'm competitive, but because I want my hunger to impart hunger into other people until all they want is the face of God. How do you guys feel about that? What would your life be like? You know, what would your day look like? If you were truly burning for, for one person, Jesus, for that one thing to be in his presence, for your heart to break when somebody just whispers, Jesus. How many of you guys have been in that place before? I'm sure that many of you have. I'm sure that most of you were the first month after you got saved. And I think that's what this month is all about. That's what returning to your first love is all about. And as I spoke at this conference about, fast, about fasting and as I, you know, spoke uh, here about fasting and, you know, spoke last week about the Nazarite band, I realized that these messages that God's allowing me to share, they're a little bit intense. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, I, thank you. I appreciate the grace. I asked my wife as we were driving out of the parking lot last week, I was like, was that too intense? No. <laughs> I was like, was that scary? Like, you know, do I need to lighten up a little bit? And um, she's like, no, I think it was good. I think you were a dad. And I was like, thanks, sweetheart. I appreciate that. She's like, she's like so in my amen corner. Even when I bomb, she's like, wasn't that bad. you know she's always encouraging me so I realized though guys that the the clarion call of the Nazarite way this invitation to join the Nazarite band like it's an intense invitation I realized that but intense or not I believe with all my heart guys that it's necessary for the times that we live in it is necessary for the times that we live in If you're going to change the world and if you're going to write history, you're going to have to understand the severity and the gravity of the season that you live in. You have to discern it. You have to understand it. And I believe with all my heart that we are living currently, present tense, in a prophetic moment in history. I believe it, guys, with all my heart. I believe that we are on the cusp of the greatest harvest of souls that the kingdom of God has ever seen. I realize that's a big statement, which is why I'm pausing. Yes, I meant to say that. 
I believe with all my heart that we are living in a prophetic moment in time where we are about to see the greatest harvest of souls that the kingdom of heaven has ever seen before. I believe it, guys, with all my heart. Do you guys believe this? Hudson Taylor, a missionary who I greatly admire, once said, there are three stages in every great work of God. First, it is impossible. Then it is difficult. Then it is done. So if you're feeling right now like, man, what you just said, Lyle, that's impossible. I want you to receive this. God is imparting hope tonight for the harvest. God is imparting hope in this season to his people for the greatest harvest of souls that the kingdom of heaven has ever seen. God is imparting a hope for the harvest. If you've looked at Nashville lately and you've said to yourself, man, this city is a lost cause. I want to invite you to look again because, friend, that is not God's perspective on your city. That is not God's perspective on the city of Nashville. What has felt like an impossibility, God is turning to become possible and more possible and more possible than ever before. What you've thought was impossible in the past is becoming possible in the present day. Even before you guys leave this room tonight, there are going to be some impossibilities in your heart that God's going to shift. He's going to give you a different perspective, and you're going to start to dream about those things. In the same way Hudson Taylor said, man, it's always impossible at first. And tonight, for some of you guys, it's just going to start to be difficult. But here's the gospel, that it is going to be done. That's the good news. Amen? So you might be thinking, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, that's great. You're, you know, you're excited. I've heard all that before. But listen to what Walter Wink wrote in a book he, he, he titled Powers That Be. That's an interesting name, right? Walter Wink. I'm, I'm, thank you, Mom, for not naming me Walter Wink. Nonetheless, he was anointed. His name did not detract from his anointing. He wrote consciously, you guys got to get this, seriously, you got to get this. Walter had a great word. Consciously or unconsciously? Everybody say consciously, consciously. Or, unconsciously. or unconsciously. All right, you guys ready? One lives not only one's own life, but the life of one's time. Are our dreams, for example, to some degree, facets of a larger mass dream that is beginning to happen in the world? To put it another way, when God wants to initiate a new movement in history, God does not intervene directly, but sends us dreams and visions that can, if attended to, initiate a process. When God wants to initiate a new movement in Treveca, God does not intervene directly, but sends us dreams and visions that can, when shared with our friends, come together and create a process for him, him to breathe into. Just could it be, guys, that we're not just living our own life, but we're living the life of our time. We're living the God dream. Thanks, Kanye West. 
We're living the God dream. I, I, I believe with all my heart he prophesied. I believe it with all my heart the, the, the concert that Kanye just had in Bridgestone, man, was that the way he ended was a prophetic declaration of what is to come. That stadium is gonna be filled with people who are living God dreams, lifting their hands to heaven and worshiping Jesus Christ. Can you guys jump on board with that? If God spoke through a donkey, if God spoke through a terrorist, if God spoke through me, he can definitely speak through Kanye. Can I get two good amens? Dude. One day, I, I'm telling you guys, I was listening to a radio interview. This is a sidebar. Sorry for going there. But I was listening to a radio interview, and people were talking about Kanye. And I was thinking in my head, I said, man, Kanye's a real piece of work. You know, I was just dogging him, like on the inside. Nobody was even in the car with me. I was like, man, he's this and he's that. And I felt like God rebuked me. He's like, hey, how are you going to talk bad about somebody like that and expect to be their friend one day? And I was like, okay, Lord. I'm so sorry. And I just turned my criticism into blessing. And I've been praying for Kanye ever since. So. Telling you, man, Kanye's a revivalist, bro. Okay. Y'all wait. The very fact that we're dreaming about this stuff, the very fact that we're dreaming about this harvest, the very fact that we can even begin to dream about this harvest actually prophesies that there is an unprecedented awakening that is on the horizon of history. Do you guys believe this stuff, man? Man, I believe it with all my heart. Let me give you a little scriptural, prophetic promise, okay? In the book of Psalm chapter 90, Psalms 90 and 10, the Bible says that the years of our life are 70, and then it goes on to say maybe even 80, okay? But the, the number 70 in the Bible is a prophetic number. It's used a lot in the book of Daniel. We know that the number seven is a holy number, right? The number of God. And we see throughout the scriptures that 70 always has prophetic significance. And in this passage of scripture, I believe that the number 70 is used and designated as the time span of a single generation. Okay, whenever the Bible says that the number uh, of years that a person will live is 70 years old, I think that the Bible, guys, here's what it's teaching us. It's teaching this, us that what God calls a generation is about 70 years. Can you guys see that from the same scripture? Can you guys jump on board with this and entertain it for a second? I believe with all my heart, guys, that the number 70, I think that God reveals to us in scripture that that's about what he calls the time the time span uh, of a single generation, okay? And so how many of you guys know that when one generation passes the baton to the next, it's not that they let go, but they start to run together and the anointing doubles. Yeah. You guys remember the story of Elijah and Elisha? When he passed down the mantle, what happened? Elisha got a double portion of the anointing and did twice the, as many miracles, yeah. right? And so I believe that we're living, this is me giving you some prophetic promises right from the Bible, okay? I believe that we're living in a season of the 70. 
okay? I believe that we're living in a season of unprecedented harvest because God initiated so many things 70 years ago and that anniversary is coming up right now. Do you guys, let me just read some stuff to you, okay? I'm gonna stop trying to convince you of this and let me just read some stuff uh, to you. So from 2015 to 2019, there's all these 70 year cycles of revival that are having their 70th anniversary. All right, you guys ready? So in 95, uh, in, in 1994, 1995, last year, 2015, we had the 20th anniversary of the Brownsville and the Toronto revivals. 20th anniversary, that was last year. 1906, we had Azusa Street. This is a 110 year anniversary of Azusa Street. So we got another, you know, 10 year cycle there. In 1947, this is next year, we'll celebrate the 70 year anniversary of the latter rain, the latter rain movement that swept the nation. In 1947 as well, uh, initiated the healing revivals. How many of you guys heard of William Branham? We're about to see the 70 year cycle. We're about to see the 70 year transfer. This is a season of the 70. Next year in 2017, we're gonna have a 70 year anniversary of what God did through the healing revival, revivals in 1947. William Branham, A.A. Allen, Jack Cole, Oral Roberts, all these people. We're gonna see an unprecedented outpouring and awakening of, of, of revival, of signs, miracles, and wonders that take place next year. Double. Okay, I'll believe, right? 1967. Some of you guys, you knew you were alive in 1967. You remember this. 2017, next year, is the 50-year anniversary of the charismatic uh, revivals that took place in 67. How many of you guys remember the Jesus People movement? Some of you guys were a part of the Jesus People movement. I want you to know, and I say this just, just with so much gratitude, that the conference I was at last weekend, Stacey Campbell brought me up on stage and she started to prophesy to me about the forthcoming Jesus People movement. And I was so excited. I was like, yes, yes, Lord, I received this, right? And I immediately went home. I started studying Lonnie Frisbee. And you know, I know he had some ups and downs, but the reality is, is that what God did through the Jesus people movement, he wants to release even more to our generation. Yes. Do you guys believe for that? Yes. So in 1517, get this guys, next year, in 1517, next year, we're coming up on the 500 year anniversary of the Reformation. Hallelujah. 500 years in the Reformation. In 1948, we have modern Israel's statehood that took place. In 2018, that's another 70, guys. The 70-year anniversary of God's people receiving their statehood. In 1948 as well, next year, or excuse me, in 2018, we're gonna celebrate the 70-year anniversary of the, of the revivals in Hollywood. The Hollywood revivals that took place. 
through Amy Simple McPherson and through some of those revivalists. You guys, let's just prophesy and pray into it right now. Dude, you know, there is a forthcoming revival coming to the Entertainment Mountain. There's a forthcoming revival that's gonna take place to Hollywood. There's gonna be a season of the 70, even before and in, in 2018, man, where we're gonna see a double portion. That's also when the revival, there's a revival, we're taking place through Bill Bright. How many of you guys remember Bill Bright? You read some of Bill Bright's books. I would, I would recommend picking up Bill Bright's book on fasting. He was a fasting father, okay? In 1948, let me tell you guys something real quick. In 1948, um, there was a book that was written in, it was actually 1947, excuse me, called Fa Atomic Power Through Fasting and Prayer. It was written by a guy, I think his name was like John Hall. I think that was right. And before, when he released the book, it actually opened up a door for unprecedented awakening in America, fasting and prayer. Amen. Uh, guess who got a hold of that book and led another revival? Bill Bright. And you know what he wrote? He wrote a book on fasting and prayer. Guess who was, you know, inspired by him? Lou Engel, who then wrote a book on fasting and prayer. And just, we just had Azusa Street last year, right? The Azusa uh, Conference. It just seems like God's in the stories, right? Like just insert yourself in the storyline. You know, what are you gonna write your book about? How are you gonna pray and fast and be a part of what God's doing in this next revival? <laughs> There's like four people excited right now. <laughs> I don't know, I can't tell. I can't tell right now, but I'm pumped, man. I'm pumped, I'll tell you guys, I'm pumped. 1949 in 2019 is gonna be the 70 year anniversary of the student revivals that came through Billy Graham. Guys, there are, from 2015 to 2019, there are 10 major revivals that are coming up on um, anniversaries. Five of the 10 are on 70 year anniversaries. So you guys with me when I'm saying, man, we're living in a prophetic time in history. Do you guys believe it? Man, I, I, I had the privilege the other night, my wife and I, before we had a baby on Friday, I forgot to tell you guys that part. We, yes. That's why, that's why my wife is not here tonight. We, we, we brought our daughter into the world. Uh, Jeremiah, Remy is her nickname, but uh, her name is Jeremiah Marie Rose. She's healthy, she's amazing, so is mom. They're awesome. And uh, before, before the birth, uh, we had the opportunity to hang out uh, with uh, pastors Meredith and Joanne at their house and, uh, you know, had dinner over there and just honestly for a few hours, Alice and I just wanted to hear their stories and they started telling us stories. And guys, I'd been putting together this list before we went over there. We didn't talk about this list and uh, they started telling me some of their stories and about their history. And they told me about a revival that I was unaware of, but that we're actually coming up on the anniversary to. In 1977, in Arrowhead Stadium, there was a Holy Spirit revival that Meredith and Joanne were at. And I found some video of it. You guys want to see it? So let's watch a video real quick. It's a short video. But I want you guys to see it, man, because I want you to, I want you, I don't want you to just be inspired. I want that impartation to go forth. This is what God's going to do, man.
And tonight, the people of the Spirit are coming together, flowing together. This guy's Catholic, the by the way. The work of the Spirit is meeting up with work of the Spirit, and power of the Spirit is meeting up with power of the Spirit. And now, tonight, it is all coming together like a mighty river thundering across this Arrowhead Stadium waterfall, and it will flow forth from this stadium and from this conference. It will flow out of here as a mighty river, and it will burst across the face of the nation and indeed this world as we go forth from here, a newly united people. In what may well be the largest grassroots ecumenical event in hundreds of years, the people of God have come together in one prophetic action to proclaim within the church, in many ways unity is already here, and fuller unity is coming. This is a Baptist and Mennonite More worship service. Were held throughout Kansas I don't know if you guys can read that. So that members of each denomination and fellowship might more clearly receive God's word and teaching non-denomination and promote the renewal of their own churches Lutherans Messianic Jewish. Those who have been divided for centuries came together in love to express their desire to be one, that the world may be Jesus is Lord. There's Meredith and Joanne right there. I don't know. I don't know if they are. So I, I don't know if you guys caught that, what was exactly happened. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to speak over the narrator, but at night, I think this is right, Meredith and Joanne, they were, they were doing the stadium, and then they would break out into different denominations and kind of talk about what the Holy Spirit was doing and how it would apply to their church and denomination. That's mind-blowing. That's amazing. You know, uh, a few years ago, I, I got the wonderful opportunity to sit and listen to um, a bishop from Ethiopia uh, teach. He was well in his years at the time, and I, I think he's since passed, but he prayed and laid hands on all of us in the school. And uh, he had a church in Ethiopia that started with just him and his village that grew to be a million believers. A million believers. My, my father in the spirit, Jonathan Suber, you guys met his son last week, Alex. Um, he preached at that church uh, conference, uh, 750,000 people. And you can't even see the end of people. They just have to have speakers lined up because you can't see the end of them, of all the people. And 
that guy's name's Bishop Teclamarium. And, and when asked about the, the growth of the church and what was happening and about revival, he said, we never prayed for revival. They said, you never pray for revival. He said, no, we never pray for revival. We only pray for unity. We never pray for revival. We just prayed for unity. Unity in the denominations, unity in the generations. Everybody just coming together, worshiping. Derek Prince said, it's, not, it's easy to get sheep together. The difficulty is getting the shepherds. But see, what I'm believing for is that we will see an unprecedented move of unity in Nashville amongst not just the church, but the church leaders, Amen. where people don't compete with each other, but they willingly hang out and they acknowledge one another's differences, but they also more so acknowledge one another's similarities, which is that the blood of Jesus is upon us. Amen. Well, I'm having fun preaching to y'all. All right. You guys having fun? <laughs> Are you stirred yet? Yes. So Meredith and Joanne, it's going to be the 40-year anniversary of what God did in 1977 at Arrowhead Stadium. Joanne said, yay. Guys, it's going to be good. So that was my introduction <laughs> to my message <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> as I promised, Nick's like, ha, ah, ah. ha. Okay, as I promised, guys, I'm going to continue my message on the Nazarite band. So, guys, I feel the Holy Ghost, man. Yeah. I do. Hallelujah. Come on. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Could we, this is a good time for an intermission. Could we have an intermission? I think we could have an intermission. Just reach out, grab the person next to you by the hand. You know, we're just, we're just going to pray real quick, you know. It's prayer. You can't go wrong with more prayer. So just, just pray over the person you left or right and just say, just say more Holy Spirit. Just, just say, God, what you're doing, just wreck them. Just, just declare that over and say, God, just, just get them, you know, just rock their world, knock their socks off, flip them upside down, inside out for you. Just get them. Amen. Amen. So I, I want to read to you guys from the scriptures. Uh, if you'll remember last week, um, I started, um, a, a message called the Nazarite band. And I want to read to you guys from Numbers chapter six as I continue to talk about the Nazarite, Nazarite band. Here's the reason why I'm sharing all this stuff with you as this long introduction, okay? And he, he, the reason is, is because I truly believe that this is something that God's gonna pour out again. If you believe that, just say amen. amen. So what we see in history is only a precursor to what he is doing today and what he is about to do in our lives. Can I get another Amen. We don't know what it's gonna look like. We do know that it'll probably look different than previous revivals, but we do know that God is going to work through people. How many of you guys know every time that he chooses to do something, he's gonna choose people to do it through? Amen. 
So who is he going to work through? That's my question for you guys tonight. Who is God gonna work through at this, this, this forthcoming revival, this season of the 70, right? You know, I would almost anticipate it's gonna be a lot of people who we don't expect. They're gonna look like, they're gonna look different. They might look weird. They might look strange. They're probably gonna be on the fringes of society. They're probably gonna be people that you think are underqualified and the last people that God would pick. But how many of you guys know the people we think that God would never be found dead around are those he typically fellowships with? So I think that's the people probably, you know, God's probably gonna use as well as everyone else. But I, I believe that in this room tonight, there's a lot of people who have been feeling for the last three weeks the undertow of God's spirit, like carrying you deeper, deeper into consecration and into just a burning passion and zeal for Jesus Christ. If that's you, just say amen. So last week we talked about these leaders, right? We talked about these, this peculiar people. We talked about John the Baptist. We talked about this strange tribe of people. They're called the Nazarites. Everybody say the Nazarites. And, and this band of crazies, what they did is they, t- they took vows on behalf of God. They took a few different vows. One of them was that they didn't drink wine during their Nazarite vow. They did not cut their hair during their Nazarite vow. And they did not defile themselves in any way, which primarily meant that they, did, they weren't around um, dead bodies, all right? So they were radically consecrated. I wanna read, read to you guys the scriptures once more so you'll be reminded. So we'll read number six, verse one through eight. It says this, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when either a man or a woman, everybody say man or woman. Man. See, it's both, man. It makes no, no difference makes a special vow, the vow of a Nazarite, to separate himself to the Lord. Everybody say consecration. Consecration. He shall separate himself from wine and strong drink. He He shall drink no vinegar made from wine or strong drink and shall not drink any juice of grapes or eat grapes fresh or dried. All the days of his separation, he shall eat nothing that is produced by the grapevine, not even the seeds or the skins. All the days, now here, that was the first part that we talked about last week. So if you wanna hear about how Nazarites didn't drink, you can listen to that um, last week's podcast. And I, I think you'll get a lot out of it. All the days of his vow of separation, no razor shall touch his head. This is the second part. I, you know, I, I, I didn't intentionally grow my hair out for this message. And it's only taken me two years. It's all for this series. <laughs> Dedicated. <laughs> Until the time is completed for which he separates himself to the Lord, he shall be holy. He shall let the locks of his hair, of his head grow long. Here's the third part. In all the days that he separates himself to the Lord, he shall not go near a dead body, not even for his father or for his mother, for his brother or sister. If they die, uh, if they die, shall he make himself unclean because his separation to God is on his head. All the days of his separation, he is holy to the Lord. Everybody say holy. Holy. Come on. So let's remember exactly what a Nazarite is. Let me give you guys a real definition, a spiritual definition of what a Nazarite was. A Nazarite is someone that is set apart. They are purified. They are made to reflect the glory of God. They are raised above the norm and they are given authority over the nation. How many of you guys want to sign up for that, right? That's what a Nazarite is. So last week, we obviously talked about the the wine aspect, and this week, I want to focus more so on verses five and six that talks about uh, no razor shall shall touch his head, and he shall not go uh, next to a dead body. So 
if you're already confused about last week, like what, drinking wine, get the podcast. If you were here last week and you liked it, just say get the podcast to those people around here. Yeah. For those of you guys that didn't like it, it's okay. So here's the, here's the first aspect, okay? No, no razor shall touch his head. All right. So the hair of a Nazarite was to remain uncut. Why is that? Why did God say, you know, you gotta grow your hair out, you can't cut your hair? Well, what the Bible suggests to us is that the Nazarite vow, when people went on this vow, it actually bestowed upon them a special authority to lead the nation of Israel into war. That's what it bestowed upon them. Nazarites were people who were supernaturally anointed by heaven to lead the nation of Israel into war. You can read about one specific battle in Judges chapter five, where there was a Canaanite general, his name was Sisera, and he had superior military technology, and he was oppressing the nation of Israel, and he was overcoming them in battle. But under the leadership of Deborah, a woman general, the, the Israelites rose and they defeated Sisera with divine help from heaven. Now, when you begin to read about the battle in Judges chapter five, about how Israel defeated this corrupt king with superior military technology, we see that Deborah is actually prophetically singing about the battle. Isn't that an interesting way to read the news? Deborah is prophetically singing about the battle, and this is what is in Deborah's chorus. She says, when the leaders lead in Israel, the people willingly offer themselves. That's a very interesting prophetic song, right? See, there's a lot of people who are unwilling to sacrifice for their purpose. But when you stand up and you begin to walk in your purpose as a leader, you'll actually call them to a higher standard. Who's waiting on you in your life for you to lead so you can call people into their purpose? You're a Deborah to your generation. But when you look a little bit deeper at Deborah's prophetic song, the literal meaning of this chorus is actually so random that it's just mind-blowing. It, it says this, when, leader, when leaders lead is actually, it says, when the long-haired ones let their hair hang loose. That is wild. The nation of Israel, see, they understood something, guys. They understood that when men would allow their hair to grow long and hang loose, that those men right there, they were engaged in a sacred, special vow unto Yahweh. They said, oh, that guy, he's got his hair hanging loose. He's engaged in a Nazarite vow. This guy's a Nazarite. And when these men who were soldiers would go out to battle first with their hair uncut and hanging loose, it meant they were proclaiming, I'm engaging in holy war. What I'm doing is not just natural. This thing is supernatural, man. And I'm a prophetic warrior that I'm leading my nation out into battle. And it doesn't matter that we've been oppressed and overpowered in the past. In this sacred vow, I have supernatural help from heaven. Doesn't matter their superior technology. Doesn't matter their superior marketing techniques. I am gonna overcome. Although Israel was greatly outnumbered, they were energized by a spirit of faith and they ran into battle when they were being led by the long-haired ones. 
So that's what Nazarites did. When you saw the men engage in this sacred vow, when you saw the men start to grow their hair out or the women start to grow their hair out and they began to hang it loose and let it long, that meant that the nation was preparing for battle. They said, oh, we're preparing for battle and we're gonna win because Yahweh is on our side. We're carrying supernatural faith. We're carrying supernatural power. You know, in a similar way, both Samuel and Elijah, they both waged war, not just in the natural against Sisera, but they waged war in the spirit against cultural battles. You can read their story in the Old Testament. They raged against, uh, they waged war against idolatry. They waged war against child sacrifice. They waged war against sexual immorality in the culture of their day. They waged war against all of those things. We actually see a prophetic picture. There's a book, it's a fictional book, it's a really wonderful book. It's written by a guy named William H. Stevens. And there's a, there's, a, there's a passage from the book that I think that's amazing about when Elijah meets Elisha for the first time. You guys wanna hear it? So the prophet rapped on the door. His knock was answered by a tall, intense young man. He was dark-skinned and wiry. And to Elijah's surprise, the man's hair hung below his shoulders, though it was not unruly like his own. Are you a Nazarite? He asked without introducing himself. I am, the man replied. I have taken a vow that no razor will touch my head as long as one shrine to Asherah remains in Israel and as long as one stone of the cursed temple of Melkart stands on another. And Elijah went crazy. He leaped into the air and he turned around completely, landing on his feet. Praises be to Yahweh. I did not believe such faith still could be found in Israel. And then Elijah asked him, but wait, you haven't even told me your name. I am Elisha, the young man answered. So what does this mean? Should we grow our hair out, everybody? <laughs> Not unless God asks you, okay? If God asks you to, sure. <clears throat> the hair is merely a symbol. You know what it symbolizes? Abandonment. That's what it symbolized. It symbolized abandonment. It means that I am totally sold out to being obedient to God. I am completely abandoned to God. That's what the Nazarite vow is about. And the abandonment of the Nazarite, whether you have long hair or short hair, if you're abandoned in the same way that the Nazarites of the Old Testament stood out, if you are a Nazarite in the new covenant and you have long hair in the spirit, you're gonna stand out in culture. You're gonna be identified, you're gonna be marked, you're gonna stand out. And that's what the punchline is. When we allow our spiritual hair to grow out, we stand out, why? Because we have chosen to consecrate ourselves and be set apart from the norm. We refuse any form of half-hearted consecration. That's what it's about. So here's the last part of it. He shall not go near a dead body. So number six and six, it tells us this. All the days that he separates himself to the Lord, he shall not go near a dead body. Now, I think that out of all the three aspects of the Nazarite vow, I think this one is the most confusing because the Bible says like, you know, Man, you're not even permitted to go and, and bury a dead family member. And I realize that, you know, that is confusing because under normal circumstances, it would be important for us to show respect and to show honor to our family members uh, by, by burying them. 
But even though it seemed harsh, it was symbolic in the Old Testament of a Nazarite's place in culture and in society. What it, what it showed was, is that Nazarites, they represented a no compromise devotion to absolute purity in their lives. That's what it was symbolic of. They were devoted to purity. It's, it's not a sin to bury the dead. It wasn't a sin to bury the dead then. But the Nazarite during his vow, he lived according to a higher rule. Why did they, why did they you know, choose funerals to not be a part of? It's because death is the ultimate consequence of sin. Death is the ultimate consequence of sin. And Nazarites could have no part. They could have no affiliation. They could have no connection with sin. They were to remain all the days of their vow absolutely unpolluted. So what does this mean for us? What are you touching that is causing you to die spiritually? Just think about that for a second. As you guys, are, as you guys are, are, are seeing this video and you guys are hearing these statistics and you hear about these prophetic promises and you hear about the generational baton being passed, you hear about the double portion anointing that's taking place, you hear about the Nazarites, you remember when you were excited about living for Jesus, like that first few months when you got saved, the first few years when you got saved, that you were so passionate, you would hide yourself in your closet, you would seek God for hours at a time, you would read, you would pray, you would go on extended fast, you would tell everybody you met about Jesus, your heart would break for Jesus. And you think about those days like, ah, you know, that's when I was young and zealous. That's, that, you know, that was for then. I'm mature now. And yet at the same time, you hear these messages, you hear these stories. They're not just our stories, but they're what God's done throughout history. And there's this stirring that's taking place on the inside of you because you know God's spirit has singled you out. He's called you out for such a time as this because you are supposed to be a part of it. You are supposed to help lead it. You are supposed to serve people through it. You, you are supposed to be possessed with an unprecedented baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire to go out and be who God has called you to be in this season of your life. I know it, guys. I know there's some of you guys in here that are being stirred by it, and you're saying, yes, I live for something greater. It's not just my job. The job is awesome. God's given it to me. I work as unto the Lord, but it's not just my job that I'm living for. I'm living to make a difference in history because the God who created it all lives on the inside of me, and he wants his glory. How many of you guys feel that? You're just like, yeah, I'm stirred. That's totally me, Lyle. We're going to pray in just a second. I want to have Nick come back and, and, and jump on the keys for me. But this is what it means, guys. If, if you are feeling this and you're like, man, I'm totally a part of that. I want to emphasize that last aspect of the Nazarite vow to you as we're kind of closing up this sermon series on 21 days of devotion, talking about consecration, talking about power, talking about purity is that the Nazarites refused. They made a commitment. Even more so, they made a vow to not touch death. They made a vow to be uncompromising in their purity. They, 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 they said to God, I will not associate myself, I will not connect myself with death, with sin, with things that are impure. Do you guys understand what I'm getting at here? 
I'm not telling you that you can't, you know, associate with people who don't know God. We don't see that in the life of Jesus. And when Jesus himself, you know, uh, hung out and had dinner and, you know, went where he went, the places you'd never think that holy people would be, he went there anyway. We noticed that he spoke, that he hung out, that he was friends with sinners, and yet he never sinned. And that's the key that we have to understand, is that he never sinned. And so when we do what we do and we fulfill the calling God has on our lives and we engage this vow in our lives, it's important that we refuse to engage in sin. We don't touch things that would cause us to die spiritually. If the decisions that you make cause you to die on the inside, but you're doing it in the name of evangelism, it is not blessed. Well, you know, I want to be a light. Yeah, but you're dying on the inside because you keep touching it. And you're doing it because you don't want to be religious when in fact that is the spirit of religion that's working on you. Does that make sense? It's just the inverted. It's just the, it's just the, the, the way that it works. And I think that's what God's calling us to is this fresh season of consecration and I think so often, you know, we, sub, we succumb to uh, peer pressure and compromise uh, our, our identity in God and who we really know that God's called us to be. And this Nazarite call, you guys, I know it's something that you've sensed before, even if you've been walking with Jesus for just a few months. But somewhere along the way, if it might be by religion, it might be by culture, it might be by church hurt, it might be by relational hurt. We allow our soul to be squeezed out of us. One last story I want to refer to, which is the story of another Nazarite who you know well. And his name was Samson. And he was a long-haired one. And from the time of his birth, he consecrated himself unto the Lord. And he refused to touch death. He refused to compromise. But over time, he was consistently seduced day after day after day after day after day. He had the soul squeezed out of him. And eventually, he allowed even the source of his power. He even allowed his God. He even allowed his connection, his vow to be compromised. And what happened? He gave in, he gave up, and his power was no more. I feel like some of you guys in here know that you're called to carry so much great power, but you've let Delilah's in your life just slowly, just take it away. So, I mean, who's cutting your Nazarite hair? I, I, I believe with all my heart, we're all able to identify that. All right, let's close. Just stand up. Guys, here, here's the deal as we're closing up. I, I want you to know that to be a Nazarite in your heart, it doesn't necessarily need to look like what it did in the Old Testament. Okay? You, you don't have to grow out your hair. You can go to your family's funeral. It's important to know. Because as a new covenant Nazarite, it goes much further than outward prohibitions. 
because guys, we're not motivated by the law anymore. We're motivated by love. Some people look at the Nazarites, they say, man, those people are so religious. No, those people are so in love. Just like I said last week, you know, the Nazarite is the ultimate pleasure seeker because he understands that the pleasures of God are so much greater than the pleasures of culture and society. To be this consecrated is not to be religious. It's to actually let who you are and who God fashioned you to become take its delight in the one that created you. So as we close today, I just want to give us the opportunity to respond. And the response that I want to invite you to make, if you're feeling compelled by the Holy Spirit to do so, is to take a vow before the Lord today. And I'm not trying to be heavy handed, but I'm also not trying to treat it too lightly either. Is that I want you to take a vow today and say, you know, enough is enough. I've been, I've been giving over who God has created me to be. I've been giving over my, my rightful identity in God. I've been giving over that power. I've been giving over my identity to the enemy. And I've compromised, I've compromised, and I've compromised. And I'm will, unwilling to compromise anymore. I'm going to make a stand tonight, and I'm going to say, no longer am I going to compromise. No longer am I going to compromise. No longer am I going to just touch dead things but I'm going to be who God's called me to be which is holy and which is consecrated before him so if you don't mind I just want you to close your eyes and bow your head everybody in here just close your eyes and bow your head and if tonight you're feeling that you're like man that's me I I know that that week in and week out I have just been just doing stuff that I know God's asked me to stop doing and the enemy just keeps bringing it up against me again and again and again but tonight is the night I am declaring that tonight is the night just real quick in an act of faith just put your hand up in the sky it's not for anybody in here it's not for anybody in here but you and and God and I want you to know that God is is answering your prayer right now as you lift up your hand he is marking you it takes courage to lift up your hand but I want you to be strong and be courageous not in your strength but in God's grace don't think about leaving this place and and say to yourself how am I going to be able to do that it's not about your strength it's about God's grace and for those of you guys that have lifted up your hands just receive God's grace right now and this all together let's lift up our hands as a church and let's just receive God's grace right now and let's just receive God's power and let's just receive a fresh baptism Lord we pray and we bless we pray and we bless every single person in this house to see their rightful position in the kingdom of God for such a time as this Lord to all together as a church and as a family we declare that we love unity we want the spirit of revival we want an unprecedented awakening in America we want to see stadiums filled we want to participate in what you're doing God we want to say kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven God we want this to be a cancer free zone God we want to see signs wonders and miracles happening here God we want to lay down our right to have it all figured out God we just uh, we humble ourselves today And we say, God, just heal the land, heal the land and send revival and send revival, Lord. In Jesus name. Now, just 
Drop your hands. Just grab the person next to you real quick and just bless them. Just bless them real good and pray for them because we declare, Lord, the commitments that were made tonight, they're sealed by your blood, but they're also sealed with the, with the prayers of a neighbor. And if you've taken a commitment tonight and you, you're standing next to someone who you trust and love, just tell them real quick. Just say, hey, look, here's the commitment that I made tonight. I want you to help me. I want you to pray for me. Here's the commitment that I made tonight to, to, to walk away from or to to stop doing. And I'm, I'm, I'm asking for your help. Pray for me. Help me. Pray for me. So Lord, we just thank you right now in Jesus' name for family. We thank you for community. We thank you for these vows that have been made. We thank you for the blessings you're raining down on us tonight. Lord, we just say that we love you and that we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Come on, let's just lift up just a big shout of glory to Jesus. We bless you tonight, God. We bless you. We bless you. We love you. bigger than that. It's so much, and we're going after so much, something that's so much bigger than our stuff or whatever's going on in our lives. And, you know, it's all about seeing the kingdom of heaven here on earth, you know, and just pursuing his face and just being devoted and falling more in love with him and just crying out for your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And just being able to like pray past our own things and to seek like kingdom perspective over a generation, over a city. So, yeah, it's just been, I'm so excited to have one last week of doing it, you know, and and, and the, it doesn't have to end in a week, <laughs> you know, so like, we can keep going after it after that, so um, yeah, so I just encourage you all in that this week, if you're fasting, if you're not, if on a whim you decide to, because that's what I did this last week, and not really good when you're not prepared for it, though. <laughs> Um, but so just as a reminder, this Wednesday is um, our last as of kind of right now, uh, the six to nine worship and prayer time here. It's come and go. So just really encourage you to come for a little bit. It's been really, really good. So uh, yeah, just come pop in on Wednesday night. Uh, and then next Sunday is Sunday morning officially. So don't come at four. Or the doors will probably be locked, and you'll just be here by yourself. But if you come at 10.30, you can have worship with all of us. So we'll see you here, 10.30, next Sunday. Um, and then if you're new, stop by the Connect table on the way out. We'd love to meet you um, and get you plugged in. So thank you, guys.